Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. iConnections is the world's largest capital introduction platform in the alternative investment industry. iConnections membership only platform brings together the asset management community, providing allocators and managers with the opportunity to connect both physically and virtually. With an impressive network of over 4,000 allocators and 900 managers, their community oversees an astounding $48 trillion and $16 trillion in assets, respectively. iConnections is also the driving force behind the alternative investment industry's most renowned in-person events. We invite you to join iConnections at their upcoming event, Salt Eye Connections in New York taking place on May 20th through the 21st at the Glass House in New York City. This two-day event is packed with one-on-one cap intro meetings and content. To explore more about Eye Connections events and gain access to their members-only platform, visit iConnections.io. We're going to start things a little differently this week on the On the Tape podcast. Guy Adami here, always joined by Dan Nathan and Danny Moses. Danny Moses. I'm going to say something, and I want you to repeat it. So if I say, like, happy, you say happy. Let's just practice, because I know you're not that bright. Happy? Happy. Okay, well done. Okay, so here we go. You ready, Danny? I'm so ready. What's your name? What's your name? Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Now, for you fans out there of a certain age, and that would be any from 55 and up, that is a lyric from the zombie song, time of the season. And I will tell you, we are in the time of earnings season. See what I did there, Dan Nathan? I mean, that is... By the way, zombies is interesting because what this Federal Reserve has managed to do over the last 13 years of largesse, Danny, is to create some of the biggest zombie companies in the history of mankind. But we'll talk about that later. By the way, as I mentioned, this is the On The Tape podcast. Later on, we're going to have a conversation about Elon Musk. I'm sure you want to stick around for that. And Danny Moses, who is now a pedestrian 11-9 and in the league where they play for pay, will put out a couple of picks as well. But earnings season is upon us. And as you're listening to this today, hopefully Friday, we're going to have a special drop of market call 11 a.m. Eastern Time, because by then, we'll have heard from Apple. We'll have heard from Amazon in this earnings season. If you're listening to this on Saturday, too bad, because you missed our special market (laughs) call on Friday. And I'm saying this on Thursday. That's like back to the future shit. Anyway, earnings season is upon us. And we'll just start with the obvious. Facebook was an unmitigated disaster. And I will say this, it couldn't happen to a nicer guy in the form of Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, Guy, you just got all too I'm a hater. You know, I'm funny? a hater. For, for, Say it. For years, Guy would talk about the stock and divorce it from the company, yes. from the CEO. True. The products, which, again, you've been saying would fall under the auspices of what? 
Well, ESG, there as I mentioned. But, but, and but it was, it, you know what? There's a certain truth to that. So I was well ahead of the no, curve No, I understand. So, so what's interesting about this is that a year ago, it was a $300 stock. It was nearly a trillion dollars in market cap. And here we are a little less than a year later. It's a $100 stock. The company's changed its name. It's changed its focus. They have massive competitive issues as it relates to TikTok, massive secular headwinds as it relates to the digital ad space and a recessionary environment. I mean, the list goes on and on and on, except one thing is like, do you really want to make the bet right now that Facebook meta is MySpace circa 15 years ago? I just don't think that makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. I actually bought a little stock today at 101. But again, I don't like the CEO. I don't like his vision of the future. I don't like what they're doing with the company. I just have to assume that you're going to have some sort of kind of reversion if you tamp down the spending. And this is probably tradable in my opinion. Dan, on the fact set machine, what are the numbers now for 2023 for Meta? I'm just curious what it is. And the reason I say that is it's now morphing. It's not really a growth company anymore, right? So it's going to burn back through the atmosphere here. So that's the problem. It's now in no man's land, the stock. I mean, this is good and bad, Danny, if you think about it. So if you're looking at the facts at consensus here, we're looking for negative year-over-year EPS growth on a gap basis for 2023 and revenue growth and on an adjusted basis expected 7% and revenue growth expected to be 7%. Stock's trading about 10 and a half times. So yes, it's not a growth stock anymore. It's a value stock. Here's the one thing I'll say. They have basically 2 billion daily active users and 3 billion monthly active users. They monetize ties far better than anyone else in the entire social media space. And I guess my point is about a stock that's gone from 300 to 100, sentiment could not be worse. It's not a great bet playing for this thing going the way of MySpace. And the other thing I'll just say is looking at the analyst consensus ratings, you got 38 buys, 17 holds, and five sells. That's changed a lot over the course of this year. So sell-side sentiment has kind of changed a bit, too. Did you happen to watch CNBC's Fast Money on Wednesday evening, Dan Nathan? Probably not. No, you did. Because one of the things I mentioned is on Thursday, you will see Facebook, and I will not say meta, I'm just not wired that way, trade north of 200 million shares. Yeah. That proved to be prescient, which is a word that I love using that I can't spell, Danny, um, because, in fact, it traded north of $200 million. I mention that because that, to me, is classic capitulation, number one. To your point, Dan, now is not the time to be pressing this to the downside. That doesn't mean it can't go a little bit lower from here, but yeah. now is when you have to say to yourself, to your point, here's a unique brand with... of the global population effectively on their platform in one way, shape, or form. They've done a miserable job explaining what the metaverse is to people that don't understand what the metaverse is. They've bought back $42 billion worth of their stock at an average price of $300 over the last year, which makes them lousy stock traders. So you can't get much worse than it's gotten. Now, in my opinion, is when you should be building a position in Facebook, not taking off a position in Facebook. That's probably right. I think investors were pissed also that this big of a miss, you have to pre-announce that miss, right? Well, let me ask you a question, Danny. I appreciate you saying that. Five years ago, I don't know if it was a thing you had to do or not, but companies would pre-announce both positively and negatively. That's gone by the wayside. Nobody seems to do it anymore. I mean, you don't have to do it. It's just very good practice to do it because it builds credibility. So to dance, now they're going to have to earn back this credibility. So they're going to have to put together a couple quarters. So yes, it's probably a value trap, but I have no 
I didn't have a position going into it. I don't have a position now. I do think they might benefit. We'll see on a fallout from Twitter, which we'll talk about later. I would imagine Instagram or maybe they get back some people that weren't as active as they were before. Maybe advertisers start going there. Maybe they create kind of a business like Twitter foothold somewhere. Dan, I don't know. What do you think of that? Well, you know, it's funny. It's not that they've lost users. It's just that essentially TikTok has really taken a lot of mind share as it relates to the attention, the amount of time that people are spending on it. They still have 80% gross margins. And obviously you can talk all day about expenses and operating margins. That's the reason why the stock has been destroyed. And so ultimately this is a game that Amazon used to play. They used to spend, 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 and then they take their foot off the pedal and then they get the leverage of that spend. Now that's the exact opposite of what's going on with Amazon right now. So I guess when I think about this, again, divorce from the management, divorce from the products, divorce from their negative impact, I think, on a lot of the users, I think Mark Zuckerberg is going to have a second act. And so whether you think at 97 or 87 or 77, it doesn't really matter. You're not going to go into a full position right here anyway. You're going to average in at a certain point with a $250 billion market cap and $45 billion in cash. It's not going to be able to to go too much lower. It's interesting you say that. So let's just play that game out because right now, forget about cash position for a second. This is a company that's trading less than two times revenue at $97, the price you just mentioned. It's trading at 11 and a half times next year's expected EPS. I mean, levels that in your wildest dreams you never thought it would get to. Now, this is a company clearly with some issues without question. But if you listen to some of the commentary, uh, there are a few people out there that said, If they had just cut that $10 billion spend in half, let's just play it out, this stock would have been up probably 10% on this quarter. And if you start saying if they become fiscally responsible, you're talking about a stock that a lot of people thought would be up 20%. Yeah. All right. Let's hit the other big ones because this is a very specific story. And I think that more importantly, Microsoft, Danny, you and I were talking about it earlier in the week. I mean, a lot of investors were kind of holding their breath because the idea that if there was some weakness in their enterprise businesses, which they have not really pointed to for the better part of the last three to six months or so, that might be something that is really just kind of an important footnote in this cycle. We've been talking about the over-exuberance by the sell side in some of these large cap names. We're waiting for investors to join the party here. At the start of the week, if I looked at the fact set, a compilation of analyst ratings, Microsoft had 52 buy ratings, six holds, and no sells. Alphabet had 48 buy ratings, four holds, no sells. Amazon, 55 buy ratings, Mm -hmm. two holds, one sell. I mean, just think of the exuberance that exists as far as the sell side and that front. So now all of a sudden, a lot of analysts actually had to kind of change their tune a little bit in the Microsoft and the Google. And let's see what they have to do with Amazon tonight. Well, what's interesting is that we kept saying, if they come and take out the generals, which they're doing right now, the market was at risk. What's amazing is that money is finding a home in certain things and some of these other earnings that are out there, right? Caterpillars of the world, McDonald's of the world, like things like that. And it's really interesting to watch that happen, like to kind of the old school industrials and the old school restaurants, companies that have been through many cycles. And so we're watching this transition. It's probably the healthiest thing that you could actually hope for. We'll get to the central banks in a minute. It's probably the healthiest thing you can hope for is you're kind of moving from these, not into cash, into other names, which happen to be putting up decent numbers. So to me, that's my main takeaway is you had an excuse to sell these companies. You also had an excuse to put them in something else. And those are two completely different things, in my opinion. And we will talk about central banks. And I'm just going to posit this and we'll sort of talk about it later. But again, one of the many, 
I would say, non-intended consequences or unintended consequences of central bank largesse. It also made the analyst community really lazy to the point that you just made, Dan. I mean, Facebook has been more than cut in half and nobody changed their tune. By the way, that was a great scene. I believe in Rocky Two. Danny, remember when Burgess Meredith, the guy's playing the piano in that <laughs> yeah. beautiful hotel in the foyer yep. of the hotel, and Burgess sounds like a change your tune. I love that's a little Wait, anyway, more than cut in half. It's down seventy one. Yeah, I, I know. On the year, it's crazy. Yeah, and analysts, nobody, it's nobody changed their tune. Yeah, but Danny, to your point, the rotation that we're seeing, I really wouldn't have thought it at this point. We just made new lows in the S and P and the Nasdaq, and we talked about this. I think last week, Russell two thousand small caps did not make a new low with these large cap indices over the so the rotation is surprising to me it does tell you that money wants to go somewhere in the equity markets they're seeing some value i'll just say this though it goes back to some of these tech names that were trading well over s&p market multiples and now have come down to earth some of them are just too damn cheap i mean they just are when you think of just kind of their user bases and the cash and all that sort of stuff so i do think you'll see money come back in that you just need to see somewhat of a capitulation but guys on these analyst ratings i don't really even spend any time because we talk about I've talked about them ad nauseum about how useless it is. What is the alpha created when there's 62 analysts that cover any name? Granted, it's always going to be buys for the most part, right? We've talked about the inherent conflicts that exist on the sell side. So again, you got to do your own work on all of these. No, it's not important. There's nothing fundamental there. It's just more from a sentiment standpoint. A lot of listeners of this podcast, they don't talk to all these institutional sort of people. You know, like remember the whisper numbers? And so a lot of them, all they do is get to listen to maybe some of these usually bullish analysts come on CNBC. So I guess the point is, is if there's 55 analysts who cover a stock and 98% of them have a buy rating, at some point you have to start thinking about what could go wrong. And so to me, that's what I find interesting about them. We started this time of the season and next week, it is that time of the season. We get some big companies next week and I'd really interested to see what sticks out to you. Of the many that report, the ones that I'm looking at, Eli Lilly on Tuesday, I mean, here's a stock that we have talked about here on On The Tape. It continues to be lower left, upper right, making new all-time highs. The knock on Lilly is going to be valuation. I get it. Probably the biggest and most important big cap pharma stock out there. I'll look at Qualcomm on Wednesday after the bell, which on valuation you can make an argument for, but these tech names, these chip names have gotten taken out to the woodshed. Let's see if Qualcomm can sort of stem the tide. AMD on Tuesday as well, I should have mentioned. Lisa Sue's done a great job, but you talk about a stock that's more than cut in half. Well, AMD is one of those names. And just quickly for me, ConocoPhillips, I believe on Thursday, these big cap energy names, Danny, have been off to the races. ExxonMobil making a new all-time high. Chevron Conoco within a whisper. And now all three of those names are basically trading at about a trillion dollar valuation. So energy, despite the fact that the underlying commodity, which Dan Nathan has done a remarkable job handicapping, these energy names have been on fire. Every time oil kind of starts dropping into the low 80s, when West Texas drops into the low 80s, people are like, I told you I'm going to sell energy. And then it kind of hovers there. Then it kind of makes its way back. And when you get earnings coming in like they are on top of this, and you see companies trading at two times, three times earnings, 
right, or four times earnings for next year, if you project those prices into next year, these things are just too cheap to ignore. And one other thing about kind of the flight out of FANG and into the stuff, notice the names that are doing the best. They have dividends. We've talked about this for a long time. There's a reason that they pay a dividend, not just because it's attractive to invest in relative to where rates are, because their ability to have paid a dividend all along this time tells you these are cash flowing companies. So the healthcare names, a lot of them pay dividends. The oil names and these stuff are starting, not just buyback stock, paying out dividends, right? The yields are great. Caterpillar, McDonald's, all these names, which you're seeing, there's kind of a method to this madness, if you want to call it, Dan, on this rotation that's occurring. And that's the healthiest thing that we've seen in this market. You know, John Butters over there at FactSet. Butters. You do love Butters. He had in his Earnings Insight blog a little factoid I thought you'd find interesting, Danny. We all know that energy's been a huge contributor to S&P earnings this year. It's the largest contributor among all of the sectors as it relates to earnings growth for Q3 2022. Without energy, I'm just curious how you think about some data like this. The earnings decline for the S&P would be nearly 6% for Q3. And I thought this was really interesting, though. But starting in Q2 2023, the energy sector is predicted to be a detractor right. from earnings growth. So how do you think about that? Because again, if we are in a recession mid next year, let's just say S&P earnings across the board are going to be very depressed here. And so if you don't have energy doing the job, what do you got? Well, yeah, listen, there's a lot of ways to look at it. It's still not large enough as a percentage of the S&P yet. I don't know where it is. I know we're kind of in the mid single digits. We're working our way probably up six, 7% of the S&P, Dan. I don't know if you can see that on your machine where we lie right now with energy, maybe even a little bit higher now, but that would be to your point. If that's true, yes, the market's going to be down a lot. It's been a huge contributor, not just to earning growth, but at this point, I think to overall S&P levels. And so again, we've said this now for six months, every day that goes by that oil doesn't collapse is a day that you should be owning these stocks and you can't be short them. And so if there's demand destruction coming, we've seen bits and pieces of demand destruction in China. We know what's going on in Europe, yet oil still where it is. Is it geopolitical risk that's keeping oil up where it is? I don't know. But I think it's a mix of everything. So unless demand goes off of a cliff, I think you got to own these things. So Danny, the S&P from that, what was it, two Thursdays ago, that huge intraday reversal is up nearly 10%. Oh, I remember. Well, we just talked about just this week, though, some of the largest components here down 10%. Are you just a bit floored by the fact that the S&P has not given more back with some of these generals like we talked about being shot here? And again, I really do think it comes down to Apple. I'd be surprised as you're listening to this, if Apple had anything really good to say about guidance, they probably executed decently in a difficult environment. But again, if Apple were to gap and Amazon were to gap lower, then that's really the test for the S&P if it can kind of hold in there. So let me answer that in two different ways. One is that if you had shown me those names, the metas of the world, right? And these things that have gotten hammered, I'd have said the S&P without knowing anything else with the S&P was probably 3,200, 3,300, right? That's what I would have thought. But little did I know that you can call it a Fed put, you can call it anything you want. It got triggered because of the broken bond markets globally and what was happening in the currency markets in Japan and the bond markets in the UK. And it came out. And so we knew when those IMF meetings were in DC, we talked about this last week, late in the week, I think the 14th or 15th of October in Washington is when all this noise kind of started. And there was something that was transmitted. Obviously, we talked about the New York Times article last week that a lot of the banks got the heads up. The Fed and Treasury were speaking. We're going to be there for you. We're going to be there for you. And we had a coordinated little global bank thing go on, Dan. So if I had known that piece of the puzzle, 
then I probably wouldn't have said 3,200. So what we have here is the beginning of the pivot becoming clear that they're probably going to acknowledge that the Fed will next week going to start slowing these rate hikes. That's built in. CME Fed fund futures are telling us that already. So what do we have now? We just used up what I would call a massive bullet of global central bank liquidity coming into the market. So it happened sooner than I would have thought. But again, to end it with this, Dan, I think it sets us up even for potentially feeling worse the next time that we drop here. It's interesting. BlackRock is telling private clients to expect, I'm quoting now, pivot language in next few weeks. And that, Danny, is something you alluded to for quite some time. So it's happening right before our eyes. And to your point, the reason why there's some buoyance here in the S&P is exactly that. And I will say this. I've said it since, I want to say, the 14th, 15th of October. I thought around that time, the landscape looked eerily similar to the landscape we saw around June 16th. We saw a VIX trade north of 34. We saw some stupid reversals intraday, which we hadn't seen since June of this year. And I thought the market set up not for an 18 19% move that we got from the middle of June into August, but you know a 15% move, which would take us to about 4,000 in the S&P from that 3,491 low. And I want to be very clear about this. It in no way means I am bullish. I think the market can go up in the short term. I still think when the dust settles, after everything we've learned about earnings, the landscape, the slowdown, 3,400 and lower is a foregone conclusion. And that's interesting because there's two ways for me to respond to that a little bit. I mean, we know a lot more than when the market started to rally in June and really got mm-hmm. a little bit of a, a juice of some lighter fluid in mid to late July. And then we had this crescendo into mid-August. But what do we know? We know that the earnings picture is much worse. Yes. We also know that a lot of analysts and strategists are starting to come around to that. So we're just starting to see those revisions for next year's S&P earnings. On the economic front, though, there's there's one little thing that it's just a bit pesky here, and that's the unemployment rate. And so here we are at three and a half percent. So for everyone who thinks that the Fed is going to be able to really, whether it's a pivot or a step down or whether there's all sorts of language, I don't know with wages where they are. I don't know how they do that mm-hmm. just yet. So I'm not saying that the December meeting should be anything more forecast than 50. And I'm in your camp, Danny. I mean, I do think that there's no way that they're going to continue to raise rates into the new year because of the pace at which things have slowed down. Listen, we had a 2.6% headline GDP number today, right? But when you peel it back, the consumer wasn't strong. It was a great quote here from Tim Quinlan, who senior economist at Wells Fargo. He says, borrow time is how I would describe the consumer right now. Credit card borrowing is up, saving is down, our costs are rising faster than our paychecks are. That kind of sums it up. So you can look at the headline number of the GDP, but to me, that's kind of where we are. And it's not about being bearish or bullish. This is actually just trying to extract the facts of kind of what's coming in and how to interpret that and how do we help people. We've been saying all along, there are a lot of names that you can own in this market. We've had strategists on which have echoed that as well. Healthcare companies that have pricing power. You saw McDonald's, you saw Chipotle, however you say it, I can never say it correctly. But what do they say in their quarter? They're expecting their products to be 15% higher in Q4 year over year. So a burrito that was $6 is almost $7 at this point. They're telling you what they're going to be doing. Yes, it's holding up for now, but there's going to be a breaking point that obviously hits here at some point to the consumer. Well, that's where real inflation is, right? When you hear from Coca-Cola, when you hear from Pepsi saying they had 16% growth, no, they didn't. They raised prices by 16%. So if you really want a benchmark of where inflation is, 
they're effectively telling you that. But what's interesting, and again, here's the Fed. We keep, it's, I can't get away from it. I mean, at a certain point, I'm just going to have to stop. Like that to me, that's my Moby Dick, right? That's my white whale. We're all on the Pequod right now. And he, that's my Moby Dick. Anyway, you talk about political pressure. And again, politics bores the shit out of me. But I will tell you, prior to the 2016 election, then candidate Trump correctly talked about the bubble that the Federal Reserve was creating by keeping interest rates low and adding liquidity. He happened to be right at the time. Magically, when he was President Trump, he went full 180 on then Jerome Powell saying, interest rates are too high, you're killing the economy. October into December of 2018, he browbeat Jerome Powell into then acquiescing. That was the political pressure then. I mean, that's just factual. I don't care who you voted for. It doesn't interest me. Don't at me on Twitter. Well, magically, this week, Senator Sherrod Brown sent a letter to Chairman Powell saying, hey, you're killing us here, pal. So now the political pressure is coming in the forms of Congress. It's really interesting to see if he acquiesces or if he's forced to acquiesce, Danny. Yeah, listen, I mean, midterm elections coming. We were trying to keep the price of oil low, releasing well, out of the SPR, right? You, these are the things that you would you know, normally do. It's common sense stuff that's occurring. I'm sure Washington right now is thrilled that the market has recovered. Maybe they think that helps them. Was there something coordinated there with Yellen and the Treasury? I don't know. It wouldn't be out of the ordinary, right? That's kind of normal course politics and what's happening. So, But beyond that, looking past all of this, does that mean we're supposed to sell the election regardless of the outcome because of what's happening here? I don't know. But looking forward here, Q4 and Europe, winner, which has more meaning than one coming to us, just because we know, yes, energy prices have subsided there because storage is ample right now, but it's only going to take a couple cold streaks over there to get those prices back up. So things have settled. You have the pot on the stove. It was boiling. It's still on the stove. It's simmering right now. I expect it to reboil up here soon. So, you know, we try to look ahead and game these things out. So again, I think the market rallies into the midterm. And I think a couple of things are going to happen post when you no longer have to run for election. All bets are off, especially in terms of, Danny, what it can mean to energy prices. Because to your point, you know, we've released everything from the SPR. They've tried to somewhat successfully keep crude oil prices down, despite the fact that gas prices are headed higher. I would submit that you could see a huge commodity rally post-election, because at that point, nobody needs to run for anything, and you have two years to sort of figure it out. And again, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. That's how I look at the world right now. Listen, people love when the White House is controlled by one party and Congress is controlled by the other. That's always been a recipe, right? People will tell you, oh, that's the best time the market can perform. Well, with the Republicans, if they do take control, there is no tax cut coming. You want to see what just happened in the UK when they tried to cut taxes? Let me tell you what's going to happen here because we have some issues with some debt that's occurring. So those old playbook, throw them out the window. But I will tell you, that is another bullish pattern or bullish thing that has occurred here recently is the belief that that's going to happen. So whether that happens or not, we shall see. But I think that's what's going on as well, Dan. So Danny, what do we like here, buddy? I've been playing around with some of these names that have just kind of beaten up sentiment really bad. We know what the headwinds are. It's nothing fundamental. I think we did spend a lot of time on Meta. There's a lot of own goals right there, right? Like we can all agree on that. That's just a company that shifted course and maybe they saw something that was coming. But there's a lot of companies like like a Nike was a good example. Think about where their manufacturing is. Think where a lot of their expected growth was. Think about the premium multiple it was trading at. Think about a, a weakening consumer globally because 
because of their lack of discretionary spend, because of inflationary pressures. I mean, there are opportunities here. And I'm just curious, you said a few weeks ago when we had Mike Wilson on that you turn bullish when he gets bullish. Now, I know that you didn't think he was going to go tactical bull and you'd have to change your mind. Are the things that are starting to pique your attention? Guy just said that energy could have this rip-roaring rally. Have the stock prices, the XLE, the OAH, have they stuck around enough where it's making it interesting for another leg higher? Well, if I had the red phone in my house that some of these strategists might have, direct line into certain people of central banks and stuff, maybe I would have gone a little more bullish. But that being said, listen, you're seeing it right now. I said when this earnings season started, take a look at these earnings of companies, read through them, see what they have. Do they have pricing power? Do they have? So I think you can own stuff in every category, but what's clear to me is the defensive names are starting to outperform more. And energy, yes, it's not traditionally defensive, but it's still very cheap. So right now we're in this soft landing thing. Right now the market's trading. If you showed me 38.50 on the S&P, again, Dan, if I didn't know anything else was going on, I would say people are interpreting a soft landing going to be occurring. If that's true, you can't own enough energy because if it's a soft landing, that means there's not as much demand to start. So energy, I still like. These healthcare companies, you're seeing pricing power on the insurance side of things, right? Goldman and Bank America, by the way, and JP Morgan have rallied, what, 17 to 20% off the lows just two weeks ago, to your point. We know that happened because the rates calmed down. I wouldn't go there. Like, there aren't names that I would chase right now in that area, things like that. So again, keep going through the earnings season and you're seeing some winners and you're certainly seeing some losers. And guy, if you hadn't started with that song, I would have done Don't Stop Believing by Journey. Hold on a second. First of all, Journey sucks. And again, please don't at me. Don't Stop Believing is one of the worst five songs in the history of rock and roll. Please don't at me. And the fact that The Sopranos, one of the greatest shows in the history of television, basically ended the, not the season, but the entire show with that shitty song, it left such a bad... T- I, I'm getting myself right. worked up right now just thinking about it. So please never again... If you want to listen to a Journey song, it's that song, uh, Lights. That's a good song. Everything else sucks. Dan, you know what I think? I think a high school girlfriend once no, broke up with Guy false. to that song. I think you have something else going on with that song because it doesn't make sense. But can I say of one course, other thing It's here? your podcast. Say whatever you want. I just want you to know the intervention that has occurred. I'm just going to round this out because people are like, oh, it doesn't matter. Let me do it. South Korea intervening. Central Bank. They're actually buying corporate bonds. Yes. Taiwan, Philippines, Vietnam, Malaysia, Thailand, Japan, India, right? Bank of China. That are in, okay. Bank of China. China. You know, I get that it's been going on here. So it's not just about the UK. Yes, we talk about the big, but it's everybody out there trying to defend their currencies, trying to do whatever they can. So it's not a global coordination per se, but there are global activities. So I just wanted to take a step back, make sure people understand that and see that. So. Yeah, well, here's the deal, right? So November 2nd, we have this meeting near certainty that the Fed's going to do their fourth consecutive 75 basis point hike. CME Fed Funds Futures, Danny, as you said before, pricing about a 50 basis point hike in December. So here's the deal. So we get through these earnings, Apple and Amazon. And as far as I'm concerned, after that, doesn't matter. We started off earnings season, or that little appetizer, that little amuse-bouche, which was FedEx. Remember that? Um, Amuse-bouche? And that got everyone kind of really, really bared up, if you think about it. And then bank earnings happened, and they were so depressed. And to Danny's point before, they just ripped. So now you could take your Netflix as a one-off or whatever. There was just a lot of bad tech stuff. And so here we are now, maybe we rally into November 2nd because of the hope of a pivot. If we can't rally out of that, 
And I don't know what really kind of saves the market from going back and retesting those lows from a couple weeks ago. Because again, to your point, Danny, a couple weeks ago, that only really happened. The combination of unusual negative sentiment and then this coordinated central bank action. So you're talking about, or I'm sorry, because now I listen to you, by the way. Well, I listen Bush is that little thing that they might bring down and say, this is the compliments of the chef. And then you will have an appetizer. <laughs> and then you might have something to cleanse your palate. It could be something in the form of like a lemon sorbet or something like that. So here's how my mind works. And Dan's going to get mad at me, but you know, we got time to talk because that's what we do here. So I think immediately of the Godfather 2 yeah. when they're at, you recall, they're out there in, in Tahoe yep. and Frank Pentangeli shows up and they're, they're offering him canopies. Is that a good Frank That's pretty good. He's like, where's the sausage and peppers? By the way, great, great job by Frankie Five Angels, as you know. Can I just do something here? It's sort of... It's your sure, podcast. It's your show, this, is not, this is not a rip off the tape. Yeah. All right, you know, you're an asshole, no, no, please, okay? You're making fun of me. No, you are. You guys are big time now. Serious Radio, Channel 132, in a world. Go ahead, guys. In a world. Yeah. Good. <laughs> so, again, I'm not pretending to be the brightest bulb in the fixture, nope. okay? So I don't understand how corporate finance and all those things, integration and then spinning things out. This is what I do know. Intel, Dan, bought Mobileye four or five, when was it, five years ago or yeah. so? For like $15 billion, right? Is that about right? Ish? 15 point something million dollars. Yeah. That's, that I, right? think that's, I think that's, but, yes. Thank you. Okay. At its zenith, when things were great, I think the valuation of Mobileye was almost 50 billion. 5-0. I think that's true. Okay. That's, that's a good deal. That's a good deal. Remember, that's <laughs> mm-hmm. from The Godfather as well. Yesterday, this week, Intel spun out Mobileye. Okay. So I'm reading Pat Gelsinger's Twitter account. He put this on Twitter. Now, if you want to at me and say I'm wrong, have at it, Just people. to be very clear, he was not the CEO he wasn't. of Intel. No, no, when no. They bought he was Global not. I. Okay. He was not. Just to be crystal clear. Crystal. I'm quoting. It's an exciting day for Intel and Mobileye. He added both of those, by the way. Does that right when you add people? We've made the strategic decision to unlock the value of our Mobileye business by taking the company public. This decision enables Mobileye to generate more value than is possible as a wholly owned subsidiary of Intel. And that makes sense. Here's what I would say. Why? You must suck as a CEO. Why can't you unlock the value of Mobileye within Intel? Why do you need well, to spin it off Just so to you know, do it? He was a CEO at VMware, which was spun out of EMC, yeah. which was kind of brought back and forth. It's just a bunch of uh, Fugazi, Fugazi financial engineering yeah. here and there. Let me ask you yeah. this, Danny Moses. Yeah. Do you think McDonald's, and I'm just bringing this up to bring it up, do you think they rue the day that they spun off Chipotle Mexican Grill, CMG? I would submit, yeah, or maybe it... Unlock the value. But if you're doing your job right, if you have an asset, you should be able to unlock that value yourself. I'm just throwing it out there. That's not my ripoff. That is a That's rot. just me. You just rot. No, that, but is, you t- just, am I wrong? No. Tell me I'm freaking wrong. No, listen. Do your job better. You don't have to spin it out. 
if there is value, you should be able to unlock it with the geniuses you have in the C-suite. And if you can't, get somebody else in the can. Well, hold on. This goes both ways, Danny, and, and you might appreciate this. You look at the, some of the parts of Amazon, and you see that basically AWS is the entire valuation. Their North American retail business is valued at almost negative. And there's a couple of different ways to think about that. Sometimes it gives you a lot of cover, if you're a CEO or a management, to do a bunch of things. It's kind of like the alphabet other bets. So if you split up the company, goes back to good bank, bad bank. At the end of the day, Intel is trading at seven, 10-year low, whatever the hell it is. That's correct. You have a fiduciary responsibility to kind of unlock value where you think it exists. And my point is, if you're running a company efficiently, you should be able to okay, unlock but, that but guy, value but, under the umbrella but, but we of... We could all agree. Let's just say Amazon went down another 50% or mm-hmm. something like that. AWS is going to get spun out. It, it, would, it would have to be spun out, mm-hmm. right? It's the same thing of eBay and PayPal. They split them up. Hewlett split up. I mean, the list goes so, on. So, on okay, on. so here's the baseball analogy. So if you're shitty enough as a baseball team, let's just say, and you have star players, you got to get rid of them. And I would say... Why don't you keep the star players and get rid of the rest of this shit? But that's the way I look at the world. Maybe Danny Moses, maybe I'm looking at the world the wrong way. Maybe I'm looking at through the lens of a Sicilian, and I should be looking at the lens of sort of a business person. It's, listen, they're under a lot of pressure to create, as Dan mentioned, just a distraction, shareholder value, whatever it might be. The stock is languishing. I mean, Intel's been an absolute disaster. So you're right. They bought it for around $15 billion, I think. When they spun this back out, I think it was around 17, I think. So what can they do now? Can they focus on more of a buyback? Can they do whatever? They got to keep paying this dividend. I don't know what they're going to do, but they were under pressure. They probably sat around the board. What can we do to please our shareholders? And I guess that's the thing that came up. So Yeah. Well, it didn't please the shareholders because Intel still sucks. Just as a, and I don't know why I'm dogpiling on the Intel rabbit because, you know, it's interesting. AMD used to exist. By the way, I mentioned AMD reports next week. So Intel wouldn't be a monopoly. They literally, the only reason for their existence is so Intel could fly into the radar screen of the SEC or whatever entity governs those things. And Intel got lazy. And guess what? The world passed them by. And the world is passing by Pat Gelsinger. And Pat, if you're listening to the On The Tape podcast... We invite you to come on and defend yourself because my sense well, is you would like to be able to. Do I, I that. don't think exactly they got lazy. I mean, I, they, they got lazy. Well, no, they misexecuted, and it is pretty amazing though that Intel has a hundred seven billion dollar market cap versus AMD at about ninety five, and they have more than two x two and a half times their sale. So they've just misexecuted in some of these higher growth areas, and AMD has done a really nice job taking market share. So I suspect Intel. We're talking about this right now. It's down to about 26 and a quarter or so. And by the time you're listening to this, I'll bet you this thing is down at least 10, maybe 15%. It's going to be a bloodletting. And just so you know, I mean, when you think about we're almost a year in from the NASDAQ high, right, Mm -hmm. which came in mid to late November or so. And you think of the average length of bear markets here, we're getting kind of long in the tooth. And especially when you think about large pockets within the equity market that are down 70, 80%, and they topped out maybe the summer of 2020. I mean, some of them. So we're getting long in the tooth. I'm really expecting a couple more huge capitulations. Mm-hmm. There's got to be a couple more. Alphabet is just careening lower, making new 52-week lows. I think Apple, if it were to go head back to those lows that we saw just a couple months ago, that's a good start. So we're seeing relative strength in small caps. We're seeing the banks, they stopped going down on fundamental news. That's good news. We're seeing rates. We haven't even talked about this. That 10-year yield, which has had that really steep uptrend today at 3.95%, looks like it wants to go back to 35 So 
there's some ingredients in place here. We're just waiting for, oh, in the U.S. dollar. And when you think about the dollar's impact, that's one thing we've heard from all these multinationals this week. I mean, Microsoft's results, if the dollar were to come in 5% after the huge ramp, that would also be, I think, an ingredient for trying to help put a bottom in the stock market. Lest you think we buried the lead or one of the bigger stories of the week, when we come back on the other side, we're going to be talking about Tesla and that genius Elon Musk bringing a bathroom sink into the headquarters of Twitter and all things Twitter. Let that sink in. Let Mm. that sink in. And as I mentioned earlier, a very pedestrian 11 and 9, Danny Moses. Keep going. Yep. A very pedestrian Danny Moses will give us his picks for week now. Is this week eight in the league where they play for pay? Week eight. Stay with us, folks. With CME Group's micro-sized futures and options, you can access the same transparency and liquidity of the benchmark contracts with less upfront financial commitment. Diversify your portfolio and manage your exposure with the flexibility of CME Group micro-contracts in crypto, metals, FX, energy, and equity indices. Learn more about what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash micros. iConnections is the world's largest capital introduction platform in the alternative investment industry. iConnections membership only platform brings together the asset management community, providing allocators and managers with the opportunity to connect both physically and virtually. With an impressive network of over 4,000 allocators and 900 managers, Their community oversees an astounding $48 trillion and $16 trillion in assets, respectively. iConnections is also the driving force behind the alternative investment industry's most renowned in-person events. We invite you to join iConnections at their upcoming event, Salt iConnections in New York, taking place on May 20th through the 21st at the Glass House in New York City. This two-day event is packed with one-on-one cap intro meetings and content. To explore more about iConnections events and gain access to their members-only platform, visit iConnections.io. And welcome back to the On The Tape podcast. Guy Tommy, Dan Nathan, Danny Moses. Um, I love my voice sometimes. It's a dulcet tone <laughs> Sexy. of Guy Adami. Now, again, Elon Musk can't help himself. He strolls into the offices of Twitter. I guess that's out there in San Francisco. You, you were just out there, right, I Dan? I was, yeah. Yeah, with a, with a bathroom sink. He somehow thinks he's clever. This is what I tell people, and I'm not suggesting I'm effing Don Rickles, but if you're not funny, don't try to be, okay? I have moments when people at You have lull, your moments. I and they do true. lol. I'm sure there are people here on, the, on listening to the podcast that at some point today lolled so when they listen to So here's one thing that's funny, and, and you know... Like, Ha-ha funny think, or when, quirky funny. Well, when you think about this guy, and you think about how much he enjoys being on Twitter and trolling people and all that sort of stuff, it's pretty fascinating that the richest man in the world is making one of the worst trades that have ever ever existed. I mean, he's literally overpaying for something by $20 billion. $20 billion. I would submit, yeah, I think Danny's right. Think about this. I mean, think about how much Meta is down today. Think about how Snap, how much... Well, I I mean, this thing is probably a $20 billion at best market So I have a question for Danny Moses. He's not a dope... So why would he do that, Danny? I have an answer. I think you have an answer because it's it's easier, it's more cost-effective 
for it's a better trade for him to overpay by about $25 billion than for him to possibly be deposed and have to answer questions about literally everything. It all comes back to his brand and his ego. And if you think about just the number that he made up, the same way he made up the funding secured a few years ago on 420, because he wanted to be cute, he says 5420. I mean, that's how made up it was when it happened. But he got himself in a bind and couldn't get out of it. 2-7 offsuit, and he goes all in, and someone called him. And now he's buying this thing, which is really, I would even say, if that stock was 5420, Dan, if you were to chart that stock and align it where it was trading before all this nonsense happened and where it would be just with three of its peers, it's probably 20 bucks, probably somewhere in that range, right? So that's that. For the banks to go along with this to the degree with they are is unbelievable to me because they're so wrapped up with him in other businesses, right? And SpaceX being another one, right? Where they're providing, obviously, a lot of funding for him and they think he's going to be a cash cow because they're going to eat it. I mean, there's billions of dollars of losses here sitting here potentially. They're not going to be able to offload this debt. There's 13 billion. They're going to sit on the bank's balance sheet. That's one. And then the equity investors that he brings in. We have yet to see, by the way, unless I've missed something, Dan, how much stock Musk actually sold, if any, if someone provided him another margin loan against the stock, whatever it would be. And then in the middle of all of this, the day before closing, we get a report come out on Reuters and all the other news services. The Department of Justice is involved in an investigation that has been going on for a year on full self-driving. But guess what? They don't know when they can get to it because they're competing with two other DOJ investigations into the company. There are three DOJ investigations going on in this company right now, but this comes out after his need to sell stock to close this transaction. So this is going to play out quite unbelievably, but it'll be a private company. So we won't see everything in real time. But Dan, let me just say this before I turn to you. I'm sad because I never owned a Tesla not because I didn't think that the S was cool or whatever. I actually didn't trust the car overall because I don't think that I'm going to be able to get parts. I really believe that and so forth. I don't want to be on Twitter anymore. I'll stay for a little while, I guess. I use my real name. I'm not going to get doxxed. It's fine. I have nothing to hide in my messages and things like that. But there are people that I'm watching now that are leaving. People that, yes, they are Tesla bears, but they're brilliant people. And they are leaving Twitter right now. Does it make up a huge amount of all the people that use Twitter out there? No, but to me, I'm about to lose a huge community. So it's upsetting. Look at the little experiment with Yeezy coming back on a couple weeks ago. So I, is, that, I, is that that's the yay? Kanye? Yeah, yay. I mean the point that I would make. I said this on Fast Money, and it found its way into Fox <laughs> News one night. I was at Melissa Lee asked me if Trump comes back on, will you leave? And I was like, yeah, probably. We'll have our corporate account for Rich Social Media. We'll tweet out our content. I just don't want to be on a platform like that. We get enough crap as it is. We put ourselves out there. We're on TV. We do our podcast. People think that it's open season on anybody who's got a blue check and. And listen, you're entitled to say whatever the hell you want. I just don't have to play that game. I don't have to be around. Here's the one thing I'd say about Twitter and him owning this asset. When you think about Tesla, so he's going to be the CEO of Tesla. He's the CEO of SpaceX. He's the chief twit of Twitter here. And he actually tweeted this out this morning. I mean, he's doing this because he loves humanity. And he's trying to save civilization because they just, I know, and it just sounds like a bunch of bullshit, but to do that, I mean, he literally overpaid by 25 billion. And Danny, to your point, Twitter's low in the pandemic in March of 2020 was $20. So if you think about the fact that all of these other peers have blown through their pandemic lows, this thing might be a teenager. 
and he's paying $54.20, billion. And so everybody says the guy is a rocket scientist. He's not. He tried to be a political scientist. He's not one of those either. He might be one of the dumbest you-know-whats we've ever met. A glib comment basically cost him either his reputation and potentially more than that, or, to your point, in excess of 40-something billion dollars for an entity that's probably worth more than half of that. And it's really interesting. And that's what happens when you put your foot in your mouth, which I do on a daily basis. Never cost me that much money, though. So here's the thing, Danny. So Tesla, you know, we talked about this a little bit last week. I know you've been short. I was short. I covered it like 209. The stock is at 224. The further he gets in with other assets like Twitter, the more risk I think there is to Tesla and its stock. Like, let's say that stock continues to go lower. Let's say the value of Twitter continues to deteriorate and they have to spend, what, a billion and a half dollars just to kind of fund that debt they're taking on to do this deal. You could find yourself as a Tesla shareholder in an unruly mess because he's getting margin calls all over the place. I think when it goes through 200, where's it go from there? Because it looks like it's about to really take a dump. The support is 175, which would be about a 58, actually closer to a 60% peak to trough decline from its all-time high that we made, I think, in November or December, which is remarkable that nobody talks about. So that's where, I think inevitably, that's where it lands, because there's still so much, there's just a lot of, what do they call it? Um, Bullshit. Hair. There's a lot of hair on that. Let me just say this. So Ford News today. Let's look at that for a second. Not a great quarter, obviously. They have issues in their supply chain. The costs are getting to them, all this stuff. They wrote down a $2.7 billion investment in Argo AI. What is Argo AI? That's a self-driving technology. And Farley came out and said, it's just not possible right now to profitably make full self-driving. One, because it doesn't exist. And so it's going to cost somebody. So here he is on one side taking that right down. By the way, Volkswagen, also an investor in Argo. So these are two legitimate companies that have tried to do. So Musk or Tesla is being investigated. Remember, the NHTSA is currently has a regulatory probe into it as well. But think about it. They've sold this on 160,000 cars. No one will care because it's a 15,000 bucks a shot. Forget about the lives that have been lost. That's 2.4 billion, if I'm doing math correctly, just in potential liability. That's what recalls are. But what real companies do and what non-fraudulent companies do is do what Ford just did. Cut your losses and move on. These guys obviously don't do that. So to your point of where the stock can go, again, I get it. Oh, he didn't have to sell stock, or maybe he did a personal guarantee, or maybe whatever. But now that he's closing on Twitter, he must have done everything that he needed to do related to the stock. So free to buy the stock. What are you buying? You're buying a guy that just lied to you about endless demand, who just cut prices in China two days after they reported the quarter, saying demand was still so strong. This goes on and on and on. And it's funny. I looked at the Form 4s today before he came on just to see if maybe he did sell stock, and I haven't seen it yet. He didn't, but everybody else has. And so everybody else keeps selling. And the other thing I'll say is, if this DOJ investigation, what's going on last year, by the way, they said this is going on for a year, he sold stock during that time period to claim for his tax bill, let's not forget. And as recently as this past Monday on the 10Q, did not disclose, quote, have not received any requests from the DOJ on any topic at all since May 2019. Okay, maybe what they think is significant and not. I'm just saying there's a lot of subjectivity in here. It's only going to get worse for him. And on Twitter, we saw what can happen quickly to someone like Kanye, right? Or Ye, whatever his name is, that happened quickly. I don't expect this roller coaster anytime soon. How much does that translate into his Tesla brand? We shall see. But I think everything's vulnerable in his world right now.
On an earlier episode of On The Tape Podcast, I mentioned it on and on. A great song by Stephen Bishop, you Yacht Rock fans. Also, he was in the movie, if you recall, Dan, Animal House, number one. Number two, Ford would have been better off buying the screenplay of Argo, a great Great movie movie. with Ben Affleck in 2012. I won't say Argo, fuck yourself, but you know what I mean. Academy Award winner. Ben Affleck. I love Ben Affleck, by the way. I know a lot of people don't. I happen to. That's one of the people that if I had a chance to hang out with him, Retainer. I would do it in a heartbeat. You're a suspect. suspect. That was a good job by you guys. Okay, guys, just a little breaking news here. It's Thursday on the close, and Amazon just comes out, and I'm trying to go through the numbers here, guys, but the stock is down 20%. The implied move on this one was about 9% in either direction. It looks like an absolute bloodbath as I'm kind of looking at the current quarter and the guidance. It's both. It's just not pretty here. So we have three of the four. Apple's due out a little bit, but Microsoft, Alphabet, now Amazon, all disasters, all double-digit moves to the downside. Danny, thoughts here, because we spent a lot of time talking about rotation. Can the market really find footing if these businesses have basically inflected whatever relative strength that they were seeing because of their moats and their monopolies and their managements and all that sort of stuff? It seems to be out the window right now. Yeah, I'm looking right now through the free cash flow decrease, the income decrease. I'm looking for layoffs. Remember, they laid off 100,000 people over the summer. It's not a small amount, and I'm seeing if they're saying anything there. But listen, shipping costs are high. Inflation's getting to them. They don't have necessarily pricing power, remember, right? They kind of pass it on. So obviously, they're getting hit here. So I'm just looking in real time here. But again, if you had shown me this, this was going to happen and where the S&P was going to be. So FANG is dead or FMAG or whatever, that's over. So now we got to come up with a brand new acronym of Caterpillar, McDonald's, and all these other things. So I'm looking for the new Ackerman here, Dan, as I look through this. But yeah, my first take is, you're right, that's a massive move. And you know what? It's one thing to be down 17% or 20% when you're a billion-dollar company. When you're wiping out tens of billions of market cap in period of seconds and minutes that we've seen these large companies do, that's something to behold. And that's something that's a lot of damage out there, regardless of what the overall stock market is doing, I will say. Amazon is a margin story. It's always been a margin story for me. Operating margins came in at 2%. This quarter, a year ago, they were 4.4%. The street was looking for 2.3%. They just reported a third quarter. Their fourth quarter guidance, operating income. Just listen to this for a second. This is their guide. Zero, which is nothing, to $4 billion. I mean, you could drive a truck through that. Fact set numbers were $5.05 billion. You can do the math. You take the midpoint of that, and you're talking about a guide down of roughly 40, 50, maybe 60%, which is a staggering number. So we'll obviously be watching this very closely next week. As I mentioned earlier, this is week eight in the league where they play for pay. Danny Moses is a pedestrian 11 and 9. Now, what he'll tell you is at 11 and 9, you're still making money. I will say to you that given the season he had last year, 11 and 9 is an embarrassment. But there's always this week <laughs> to get back on the right side of the ledger, Danny. So without further ado, your NFL picks, please. Before we came on air, I talked to Dan. We're back to even for the year. We're going to bury yeah, it. It's over. He doesn't, he's just done with this. I don't, We're going to do a workout here. I can't do it anymore. And when we go to Il Molino on the nights with our friendly bartender, we can always make bets with him there and pass around $100 bills. That's right. So I was going to take... Baltimore. I'm just going to say this right now. I'm betting on Baltimore tonight now that they're getting two. But what scared the crap out of me is that line opened up against Tampa Bay Thursday night game. Baltimore was minus one and a half. They're now getting two. Do you know that Tom Brady hasn't lost three games in a row since 2002? 
I think that's what's going on here. But not one of my picks, and I'm not going to put it out on Twitter so I don't get credit for it, but I just want to let you know I am betting Baltimore plus two tonight. All right, I'm going to keep riding the Cincinnati Bengals on fire. I told you two weeks ago when he got back to New Orleans, back to the Superdome, whatever they call it now, he would find his rhythm, Joe Burrow. They're going to destroy Cleveland on Monday night. Cincinnati laying three in Cleveland. Dog pound will be booing by halftime. All right, I like Cincinnati there. Your Giants guy. I know you're scared. I know how Giant fans are right now. I know it was a rough week. Wait a second. Hold on a second. Do me a favor. Please don't bet on the Giants. No, it's not Dan betting. It's me betting on the Giants, okay? okay? It's me, all right? I know they're going out west, but it's better than a west team traveling east. East teams travel west is fine for the time change. Giants plus three. I'm going to ride them now. That's probably bad for you guys until I see some Getting three in Seattle. I'm not a believer in Seattle. I'll take Giants plus three. And I'm going to stay on Tennessee versus the Texans. Tennessee came through for me last week against the Colts, laying two and a half. They're going into Houston and playing. I like Tennessee. So Tennessee minus two and a half, Giants plus three, Cincinnati minus three. I saw some three and a halves out there on Cincinnati. I would buy it to three. We're not want it half lane out there. And I'm taking Baltimore for fun this evening. Those are my picks, guy. Before Dan chimes in on whether or not he wants to, for you, any of you guys out there that are looking for a good line at a bar, I will give you the following. You walk into a bar, you see a a pretty young lady, and you say to her, are you from Nashville? And she'll say, inevitably say no, and she'll say why? And you say, because you're the only 10 I see. Oh, see what boy. I did there, Dan? That's pretty good. See what I did there? Like I said, I'm not taking the other side of Danny. He's obviously very good at this. I was just kind of willy-nilly taking the other side of stuff. We're going to do a little bit of a workout here, but Danny, all the best to you. All right, is that it? Are we done here, guys? That was a heck of a week. I'm done. I mean, just so you know, folks, on Monday... Yeah. We're going to be doing a special release of the On The Tape podcast. We're going to break down a bonus down episode, a bonus, episode yeah. a bonus drop, as they say. We're going to talk about all things earnings this past week, all things earnings in the week that we're going to talk about. It's going to be great. Tune in. We're obviously going to do our market call, which is we're going to do. And we're going to try to talk Danny Moses, Vincent Daniel, and Porter Collins into doing, what do you call that thing? What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? That will be out a week from Monday. Or we're recording a week from Monday, I should say. So So stay tuned, folks. We'll see you next week. Thanks again to our presenting sponsors, CME Group, iConnections, and FactSet. If you like what you heard, make sure you hit follow and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show, and we also want to hear from you. Email us at contact at riskreversal.com. Derivatives are not suitable for all investors and involve the risk of losing more than the amount originally deposited and any profit you might have made. This communication is not a recommendation or offer to buy, sell, or retain any specific investment or service.